Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, bringing you the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive startups and leaders. Subscribers get a new episode every Thursday at 6pm and I'm your host, James Sommery. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Tobias Alpston, who's an international health tech exec and entrepreneur focusing on transforming patient care globally. So he founded iPlato in the year 2000 and he's now the company's chief executive. So iPlato do loads and loads of things in the primary care space, mainly through their MyGP app, which simplifies booking appointments, first of all. And what they do is they layer a load of functionality and features on top of that. And I will leave Tobias to explain all of that very shortly on the episode. So today we also talk about Tobias's background um, and after studying in Stockholm and Paris, Tobias earned an MSc in Electrical Engineering and Information Technology in 1996. He joined Accenture's Paris office, was involved in a load of telecommunications stuff and then founded iPlato in London in the year 2000, which actually started as a consultancy and ended up as a health tech company. Uh, It's a great journey and it's got a load of lessons for entrepreneurs and Tobias goes into it in a great amount of detail, so I hope you enjoy it. I actually met Tobias when he was part of the first accelerator that I ran and we've stayed in touch ever since and you can definitely tell that we uh, know each other on this episode. We have a lot of fun, so hope you guys enjoy it and if you want to get in touch with me head to the description of the episode click on any of the links and you can find me and Tobias in there so Tobias welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast how are you doing this morning mate? Very well thanks you James excellent whereabouts are you speaking just from today Tobias? I'm speaking from the sunny Hammersmith Sunny Hammersmith. Yeah, nice. Sun, sun always shines in Hammersmith. As we say. <laughs> it really doesn't, though, does it? <laughs> um, cool, man. So obviously, we know each other really well, don't we? We've known each other for a long time since mm-hmm. I ran the Digital Art at London Accelerator, and you yes. guys have gone from strength to strength. You've basically taken over the UK almost entirely. You're looking to expand internationally. You've got a super fascinating story. So I'm really pumped for our listeners to hear it. So Tobias, why don't you begin by telling us a bit about your story? Thank you very much. I suppose I peaked when I got to know you. <laughs> uh, with, I wouldn't say that, <laughs> mate. You, the, you guys are killing it. Like, <laughs> the London uh, Digital London Accelerator, which I think we were in cohort one, which you were, you were part of. So you started up that with a few colleagues and we were on the first cohort and that's about four years ago. Um, it was. I've been in healthcare for a little bit longer than that. So I've been uh, doing tech in healthcare uh, under the iPlato brand for more than a decade. And how I find myself in healthcare, I suppose I, when I, when I was younger, I, uh, I, you know, you do summer jobs and I, I somehow ended up doing summer jobs at the local hospital uh, outside of Stockholm where I grew up. And, uh, and then when I was to, to uh, you, know, you apply to, to, to uni uh, at some point, and then my first choice was med school, medical school, but uh, I didn't get in. And so I had to study physics and, uh, and computer science. Oh, wow. And uh, what a so this is my revenge, was, oh, my basically. God. <laughs> <laughs> this is my comeback. So, so uh, this is why I'm in healthcare. This is passion. Right? I think that's true for a lot of people who work in, in digital health and healthcare in general. Yeah. So there is a vocational angle to it that you, sh- you know, that, that is almost always there. It has to be there because it's very, very hard at times to be successful yeah. in this field. So on to studying university, I was uh, in Stockholm first and then I was... Uh, Moved. I moved to Paris within those studies, and then I started working at Accenture. Became a, a management consultant with a tech edge. I don't think at Accenture you ever get far away from tech. <laughs> and uh, and within that, I, you know, as you do with these consulting firms, I think they're great places to start your career. I think they give you a lot of experiences, multiple projects, and I somehow got, was exp- expatriated from Paris. 
to London. Mm. <laughs> Very exotic. <laughs> you really have to wonder. But hey, I was here and I couldn't be, you know, I, I didn't mind because, of course, the flat was paid and all these things that happen when you're very nice. But then um, I was called back to my home, home uh, to the Paris office to continue. And I said, look, <laughs> I felt very strongly that I could move forward faster uh, myself than to within a, by then uh, an organization was already 45, 50,000 people. Wow. So I thought that was a long climb and uh, yeah, I wanted to run business. Climb. So I started my, my first business. It was effectively a consulting firm, a mini Accenture, oh. but specialized in mobile development. So I brought together a bunch of people, some former Accentures, some new um, set up a development center in Prague and, uh, and started working. We worked, this is the early age of, of, uh, of mobility. And I think a couple of years into it, actually 3G networks came. And so we work with, Orange oh, wow. we, work, <laughs> we work with these guys and there was actually a time where these, uh, the mobile operators scratched their heads and say, goodness me, we just have too much bandwidth. <laughs> How are we ever going to fill this bandwidth? And uh, it seems incredible, but, but that was a consideration at the time. So there was all sorts of attempts to uh, seed this market with the richer content type stuff. And so we mm-hmm. worked in mobile, with mobile operators, worked with media companies, uh, and we worked with big banks on services that then worked either. It was basically SMS. There was the early, you remember WAP? I do not. Well, I don't no, know what that is. Young, right? <laughs> These was the earliest protocols to do somewhat more intelligent things on your phone. Oh, right. And then, well, of course, everything changed then in 2007 when the first iPhone came out and, you know, everything is history since then. And then I had already yeah. started uh, the healthcare journey. So we sort of stumbled in. I already had a team that could build stuff. And so we were bidding for a, for a contract, uh, effectively a, a pilot study, feasibility study that the NHS often puts out. There was uh, something like a 75,000 pound project they always do part funding, right? So there was something like that. And uh, so we won that gig and uh, we then built a little application which helped um, GP practices send appointment reminders and things like that to their patients. And the whole idea was to increase or reduce waste basically in the health service. And, uh, and then we looked at that and said, it's so much more fun to run a software business than it is to run a consulting business. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I would say that it's probably fun to be a consultant too, but you know what? It's such a feast and famine thing when you're a small, small one. So this yeah. software business, now this is software as a service. It's effectively a rental business. We charge people every year in the beginning of the year. And then we come back the next year and say, do you want to pay for it again? Yeah. And uh, that's digital health is just booming. They always do. So, uh, it's it's really. So I didn't know the bit about your own consultancy before that, and I didn't know that you had such an understanding of the telecommunications industry. And it, it's really interesting because it really fits, I guess, with with what I know of you, and especially how iPlato's gone from strength to strength, and you know, being so mobile focused and things. I mean, do you think, do you think, and I've actually had guests on this before. In fact, quite a few guests that have come from the telecommunications industry it actually seems quite common. Um, do you think it's helped you in a, in a, in a, a big way coming from that industry into, into what you're doing now? It has, it has, a, but it's also, um, well, I think the, the clash of telecoms, which is at the bottom of what we do, you know, you can't, can't do what we do without networks, devices, uh, yeah. databases. I mean, tech is at the heart of what we do, but very often we, it, it, arriving at healthcare, the door of healthcare, mighty healthcare, is a quite a humbling experience. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, of course, in the last sort of half of the 21st century, uh, 20th century and into this one, tech has revolutionized the world. And 
you know, we, we do show up with a bit of swagger. This and is then, it. And, right. and, then we, and then we encounter healthcare institutions and there are a bunch <laughs> of them. Optimism in just goes <laughs> down a, and down and down. <laughs> and Barca, yeah. London, I mean, at some, I've been working with on and off for the last you know, 15 years because they've been around since something like 11, 23. 23. So, yeah. Organized healthcare in London alone has is a thousand year old wow. <laughs> business, and uh, you know so that you have you know the uh, invariable clash of of cultures and attitudes uh, and speed and all of these things and uh, you know so today I would say I'm twenty percent tech and eighty percent health yeah or more yeah <laughs> and otherwise I just wouldn't get anywhere. I think that's super interesting though. And it's something that, again, I talk about on this podcast quite a lot, which is that you kind of need that that external influence and that different way of thinking to even consider changing something in healthcare sometimes. Not only do you need the ideas from outside, but I do think you need that passion, that motivation, that kind of... Uh, inspiration that you might get coming from outside because I think there's, there's a lot of people that are within healthcare that have existed in that bubble that kind of struggle and they just kind of think oh it is just the system and they've existed in it so long that they're kind of indoctrinated by it and it's difficult to to innovate outside of it when you don't have that wave of optimism and inspiration and passion and it sounds like that's what you guys had at iPlato when you were just like we've built this successful yes. bit of software that's doing a, doing a load of stuff we can go and conquer the world now we can go and do loads of stuff yeah, I mean, I agree that there is, it's it, being, having tech roots or telecom roots definitely has, a, you know, it brings a certain level of optimism that you can change things for the better. Mm. And, uh, and and it does clash because, of course, the healthcare paradigm is, is a very much of a healthcare is delivered when one doctor is in the same room as one patient. <laughs> That is healthcare, yeah. And and of course that you know you take that to financial services, for instance, also a highly regulated, very secure environment. It is the same thing as you have to see your bank manager to pay, you know, your mortgage or you. Yeah. <laughs> but to, for every single transaction, you have to see this trained professional. But of course, the rest of the world has moved away from that, whilst the the healthcare paradigm sort of stays and. Uh, so I'm afraid we haven't had much of a dent. It's it's so true. <laughs> so far, so far, it's just not particularly scalable, is it? When no. it's uh, one human to one human, uh, but we're getting there. We're getting there, Tobias. Yeah, aren't we? of course we are. Absolutely. Um, so, so tell me, tell me about iPlato then, and tell our listeners about our iPlato because obviously I know you guys. But tell tell our listeners what what iPlato is, I guess, in its current form. And I'd really like to know about your growth because one of the things that I really love about you guys is your ability to scale first of all so the fact that you found a problem that innately you built a solution to that has the ability to scale i think that's incredibly fascinating but also the speed at which you've done it i think is great and to do that within digital health or health tech whatever you want to call it i think is a really interesting case study for for people to hear about and particularly about getting over challenges and things so yeah tell us about iPlato and talk to me about your growth I think it's going to be hard to talk about iPlato without talking about my GP which is the we are the developer of of this platform so my GP is the thing that people will see and and this is what people will know us for and in some occasions actually I go out and I, I it turns out that my GP has fans and people say oh my god this is such a good thing and I, I it makes you feel really good anyway so I can see GP- why mate to be perfectly honest like just <laughs> leveling with you here I've used it and I can I can remember the exact day that I used it just because, bearing in mind I'd already had you on the cohort didn't have the app you you'd left London, and I can remember being in Clapham Junction and just thinking oh, I just want to get a dog's appointment I can't be bothered to ring anyone on the phone like just I can't be asked with all of this stuff anyway uh, I downloaded the app and literally within honestly it was within seconds that I'd had a GP appointment booked I didn't have to speak to a human and it was just the fastest and easiest thing in the world and, I, and at that point I was like I can see why this has done so well <laughs> like, yeah, I should have got this a lot earlier <laughs> thanks thanks for that so, so you're not necessarily alone so we've got about 70,000 people a month joining 
Oh my God. And it's, it's just today, it's, uh, February, mid-February, we, we hit uh, one and a half million active users. So for instance, for, so, so what it does, is basically the, the big problem that we solve, and I think we're not exactly alone, but I, perhaps our take is, it's about simplifying access to healthcare. To yeah. make access to healthcare um, you know, as simple as possible. So it's complicated, complex, fragmented, and hard to navigate. So this is our this is our job. We don't necessarily help you check symptoms. We think there are Go, Dr. Google and a bunch of good apps for this, Ada, a bunch of others. So we don't try to do that. We try just to say, I need to, ha- I need healthcare. That's where my GP kicks in. So on the on the surface, you have you have, instead of booking a booking app, you book your GP appointments, and you order your repeat prescriptions. So this is at the heart of the you know the, the beginning of the journey, and and this attracts a lot of people because. Previously, you'd have to call your practice to get an appointment, and this app, of course, is awake 24-7, <laughs> which hardly any switch for that any practice is. Uh, and the prescription is probably the, the fastest-growing segment because, of course, that's also a pain to go from, especially from the paper version of, of, of a script or, or a prescription to a digital one, where not only can you get rid of the paper, you... You say, I am on this and this and this med, I'll run out. And you go to your pharmacy to pick it up, or you mm-hmm. can even get it sent to your home. So, so these are very attractive services, even to start with. But I think it's what happens beyond that, that is the fascinating story. So we have things that, that are somewhat even, unevenly distributed because of course we need to get paid occasionally. Yeah. And so we sell these buckets. There are three buckets, products that we sell mainly to payers and, and providers. Mm. Uh, and the first one is patient engagement. So you can troll your database, you can use the platform. Um, ideally, you would engage through the app, but if you can't, then the mobile phone number will sit on your record. And if that doesn't work, you know, we actually, to this day, help people send letters. <laughs> really? <laughs> so that combined data. So we got 3,000 practices in the UK on that, um, on wow. that product itself. Um, and so they can communicate then to, to 25 million people. And, and that's an enabling function. So that works really well to bring people in for anything from flu jabs or keep, keep, keep people away from the practice. For oh, wow. So, I see. So, if, so if GPs want to hit their cough points at the end of the quarter exa- or whatever it is, exactly. they can just be like, right, everyone's coming in for a flu jab. I can just talk to, I can click a button and send a message to every single patient yeah. at this practice and just yeah, tell them to book. And that is amazing. Uh, uh, and uh, so there, it's a whole range of preventative services. Cancer screening is big, health checks, a lot of that. And I suppose for the international, your international listeners, it helps that the family doctors or GPs, general practitioners in this country, they are mainly their funding is capitated. So they will be funded for having somebody on their list. How many times they see them, it doesn't really matter. So so they are quite keen on prevention and there are incentives for these preventers. So, so this engagement piece works really well. Um, and, and I can go on about that because we do this across all of London sure. right now. In cervical screening, we have we connect 1,235 practices with 600,000 women a year who are due for cervical wow. screenings. So we do that at, at huge scale, probably bigger scale than anybody else. So that's the patient engagement piece. Then we have the second piece that is also an add-on is a, is a bot. It's a care navigation bot. So you, when you uh, book your appointment, the bot engages and asks what the doctor would have said when you show up. Yeah. Uh, they will say, what can I do for you? And, uh, and then the bot knows that, all right, well, James has an appointment in, in six days' time. Uh, if, uh, if you are coming in for, let's say that you'd want uh, 
a sick note or a fit note because yeah. you've been off for two days. The, the uh, bot will tell you, right, here's the guidance for when you need a sick note. And so you have, you have a large number of people who just by realizing that, oh, actually, I only need this piece of paper from a doctor within this time. Mm-hmm. If I've been away for a certain time, well, actually, they just cancel the appointment straight away because they don't need it. Oh, amazing. Now, that's a real admin be- off the table as well. That's a beautiful saving. Yeah. I said, so the, and then yeah, we yes. have the other you know, things that you can do at your local high street pharmacy. You have things that you can self refer to local services, the whole range of mental health service in particular that are really you know, self referral and that you can access, and, and people just don't know. So, so, so that's what the care navigation bot does. And wow. the final thing so we have about 300. 50 practices on the care navigation bot and then we have a third bucket a third product which is called remote consultation where which takes all this data renders it to the clinician at the practice and allows them to do uh, in-app messaging consultation you send people a, a video clip of that exercise that you were planning to recommend for them yeah. or you can see them uh, via video so these three components, um, they, well, they digitalize health, the whole package that digitalizes healthcare. And uh, so, so that's, that's exciting stuff. I, it really is. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the bit that's super interesting for me there is that care navigation bit. The fact that you're completely and utterly evening out the service because mm. there are pharmacists that are twiddling their thumbs that could be doing so much more. There are community people, there are GPs that are too busy. That And there's all these different services available which aren't evened out, which is causing, you know, waiting lists and pinch points. And as I say, people twiddling their thumbs. I think the fact that you've got this thing that can actually even out that entire service, that is so valuable. That's so valuable to the system. I mean, have you got much evidence around that in terms of what it actually can do and has done? Yes. So we, as a bootstrapped business, we, <laughs> we are notoriously boots, notorious bootstrappers. Good for you. Uh, and that has some advantages and many disadvantages <laughs> as well. But So we funded this particular development on an SBRI grant, nice. which was actually originated during our time with the digital London. Excellent. So, uh, so part of my team did that for you. Fantastic. Well, Olivia, <laughs> Olivia Festi. Oh, amazing. Shout out, shout out to oh, her. Awesome. I hope she's listening. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Olivia. <laughs> yeah, she's brilliant. So she helped us getting that in order. So we got, um, we got uh, 100,000 the first and then 700,000 later. So that was 800,000. And we built this package on the back of that. And that's equity-free funding as well. That's right. Exactly. That's right. We didn't dilute. For people listening, that is the dream. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and from that, we built the navigation bot. Uh, and what you have to do then, of course, you have to show some efficacy and some outcomes. And so we're, in the trials, we were able to take uh, 26% of all appointments out of the system. And uh, so that means 26, 100 people book your appointment. They all get to to meet the bot. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, 26 of these people will then end up cancelling their appointment because <sighs> they have found something else to do. Wow. And, and ironically, it's just quite extraordinary because then that mixed with the secondary research we used before to justify the project itself said, well, GPs surveys with, and we're talking thousands of GPs here who who contributed to the service to say how many of your appointment wouldn't of of the people who turn up here uh, are unnecessary, and mm. extraordinarily, the uh, average number that turn up on out of that says was twenty seven percent. So there's a bit of a mix here, uh, an interesting match of of a. Uh, of, uh, of numbers and uh, so I, th- I, I can't see us taking out all of the <laughs> unnecessary appointments there must be some people who really feel that they, sure. they deserve to see a doctor <laughs> they should see a doctor but, but there seems to be a lot of people who you know let's face it the 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 British that the average waiting time for seeing a GP in this country in our network is nine and a half days Whew. 
So I looked at this and said, well, you know, you don't have to have a super smart bot to have some kind of impact. Yeah, definitely. Because most of the time people book their appointment and then nothing, nothing happens. Yeah. So anything is better than nothing. Such a good point. So we're, so we're training the bot to get a bit smarter, but in the early days and where this evidence comes from, it, you know, it was relatively primitive, but still it had massive impact. I think, impact to get, as, take I, I think the impact as well, you're probably not going to see a lot of the impact that's going to be made from that. Because I think one of, one of the issues that I've always felt from, from really coming up from, you know, healthcare from, from the ground floor is that there's a huge bit around just patient education about what mm. they should go to the GP for, what they should go to a for, what they should call 111 for, what they should do all these different things for, you know, and when they should access services. Because nobody teaches you this. Nobody teaches you when to go to the GP instead of A&E. Well, how does that information ever get to you? How does the information ever get to you about what a sick note is or when you should get it renewed or when you should go back, you know, all these different things. I think your bot out there is, is actually just educating people who mm. are going to tell their kids the same thing, who are going to tell their brothers and, and mothers and, you know, all those, those family units are going to gradually get educated based on your bot telling them these things and i think you know their experience of the healthcare system often won't teach them that either because there's so many people that i've seen in a and e that i could have sat down and educated on the what they should be coming in for and shouldn't be coming in for but often already you're running over and you just need to crack onto the next patient so you don't really have the time to sit down and do that but and similarly i don't think the information often goes in because people are so stressed out by their you know illnesses and various bits and bobs that they they just want to get home if they're sent home etc I think there's so, there's so much impact that that could have for the future. And I think that's super exciting. One, one of the things I wanted to ask you though, Tobias, is, is how you scaled, right? Because this scale happened big and it happened fast. And it's, it's interesting to me that because the, it seems that the patients aren't paying yet they are the ones to be made aware of this in order for it to scale. And so there's just an interesting match there of, 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 is it a consumer play? Is it a B2B play? How did you go about the marketing? And how did, how did that lead to the scale that you've got? I think it's a, it's a platform play. And a platform bit like uh, Deliveroo or you know, what are these? You have consumers on one side and you have a certain type of, of business or a provider on, on the other. And... Which this is both hopeful and, and because if, if you think about healthcare, of course, GPs and pharmacists that we connect to, they're only a part of what you need. <laughs> they're not everything. Yeah. So we are still a delivery with only Italian restaurants or pizza. <laughs> There's so many other types of, of, of things we can add, anything from all the specialties. <laughs> Well, special services, you know, so, so there are fascinating upside to this thing as we add more um, services, healthcare services on the, on the, on the provider side. Mm. But essentially, I think what we felt we needed to contribute with, and it does tie back to what you say on, on educating patients, and this is an age-old uh, supply side view, right? So this is what healthcare people think. But so the way we tried to turn it around was to say, well, let's not necessarily educate them, but let's to, let's let's assume that if you push that button, my GP, you want to have access to healthcare. But what? Why is it that you want to have access to healthcare? And a lot of doctors would say, well, they want to have access to me, the doctor. They want yeah. to see a doctor. That's, that is because that is healthcare. But we extended that to say, we believe that when people push my GP, it's because they have a healthcare issue, but they want to be healthy. Right. <laughs> or they want to be diagnosed. So, so here's the thing. That, that's a big difference. So all we try to do there is to say, well, let's, let's follow the user. We, we actually call them members. Because lots of them are, you know, when you seek healthcare, you may have a symptom that may or may not qualify you to be a patient. So, so we think of them as members of, of our club, our MyGP club, and we, we really think, you know, we start with, with, with them, with the people who have signed up, and the profile, the persona, <laughs> it's in the UX design, mm, sure. 
so the persona we work for at the moment, the person that was the persona that that just flocked to the app to start with, were uh, mums. Interesting. <laughs> so for, being a tech company that works for mums, that's an interesting one. But that, it's a great great challenge because if you think, then sixty percent, sixty one percent of our users are female, and. Uh, you know, a very large proportion are between 30 and 50. We have, we have hundreds of thousands of children associated with these users. And unfortunately, although it is 2020, most of the connections, child, parent, are mother to child. Yeah. Love to see more, more, more males or more dads. Uh, organizing healthcare for their children, but it is what it is. And now, yeah. if you start thinking about the your member, your target, you know you, that group, you start saying, "Well, actually, there's so many problems we can solve for these people." So, rather than thinking of educating them, let's say, "Well, how can we help you?" Which mm. is, I think, what what any consumer service should be doing. Um, so, so I think that is what really this. It's we are outside of healthcare and we can th- that which allows us to first if if you think about the NHS they have to think 100% of population and they need to always think about everybody and that has led to this thing that well digital has to work for the elderly because they are the power users of healthcare and that's fine but that's not what we do we have plenty of elderly or people who could be considered elderly on our platform but we don't you know, customize our service for them. Uh, and they are not our alpha user at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but you know, by, by getting the uh, parents uh, onto, the, onto the platform, we help them connect with their parents. So we get to the elderly anyways, and we help them connect with their children. So, so you know, we, we hit we hit to the middle of the sandwich. And do you know? Do you know what's what I really like, and I think is so fascinating? There is that in answer to to my question, which was how did you scale? Basically, all you've described there is we built a really good product, and we made sure we solved problems for our customers, and the customers yeah. just sold it to each other. I mean, that's yeah, pretty that's much essen- that's essentially the answer, right? Because what I mean, my question was loaded in that I mentioned you know marketing, I mentioned B two C, I mentioned, B2C, but you know, it's not as if you did loads and loads of b2c marketing and spent a massive marketing budget on on all sorts of bits and bobs it's not as if you ended up doing this b2b sales roadshow going around all the gp practices saying tell all your patients to use this at the end of the day you built the app you saw who came and then you just listened to your customers and built a product that genuinely served them and i imagine a heck of a lot of them just sold it to each other after that it, it is it, the to get to the very bottom of of the how we bec- became the most ma- downloaded medical app in in the uk in 2019 it is because our relationship with the practices so we yeah. built this we spent it we sunk a decade of working in with prices we now have we connect three thousand of them directly and they have a di- all these practices have a digital target mm-hmm. and so what we can say is that well we can help you achieve those targets so so it is it, you know it is about being at the right place at the right time offering <laughs> the right service and then uh, you don't have to rent then you don't have to do super bowl ads or yeah, you don't have to it. have plastered the tube or anything like that it's uh, <laughs> That's very cool. So, and I guess through that, then you've become, as you say, the most downloaded medical app in the UK, incredibly popular, incredible scale. You've sort of completed it here in the UK almost. And I say almost, but you obviously now you're looking at international. So say again, twice. We have a few more to go. Yeah, a few more to go. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. Um, But now you're looking at international expansion, right? And you're looking at how this can fit into various other markets and how it fits into healthcare as it exists in lots of other countries. I mean, what part of that process are you at at the moment? Whereabouts are you in that international scale? And what, what are some of the challenges that you're thinking about or trying to solve and going down those lines? We've got two active launch projects. One expansion project, which is in the US, where we have had been we've been running a service for for a few years, but that we want to expand that. Um, and then we have Holland or the Netherlands that we're also doing a, 
a project, it's an active project. And then, so, uh, and, and it's deliberate to a certain extent. Um, one market is enormous, but also very tricky. <laughs> and that will be the US. And one is quite similar to the UK, uh, easier, but of course then much smaller. Sure. So, uh, so you know, we're it's deliberate basically an A and B scenario. We hmm. want to see if we by launching in these markets, uh, and we feel that you know we want to have a a model that we can replicate in other markets afterwards. But so we've got two two live live uh, projects for launching and expanding internationally. Um, the the trickiest bit is well, tech is transferable. <laughs> It's the same, and you know, there is a there are some regulatory challenges, I suppose, because every country, well, EU has GDPR, US has other privacy rule uh, regulation, slightly sure. less onerous, uh, but there. And then there's also the hosting scenario: how can you host? How can you know, how do you manage clinical risk and all of these things? So, where does data go? So, so you have these everywhere, and you need to set up nationally. These services are effectively national. Um, but the biggest challenge that I've encountered is is how healthcare is funded. Because eventually, if you want to be sustainable and you want to pay your team, you've got to find a way of getting paid. Yeah. And uh, and the world divides into mm-hmm. you know coming back to Deliveroo, the, you know, the 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 restaurant. If you have the, 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 in some in some countries. It's a, a normal restaurant where you go and you pay for your meal. Other restaurants are highly subsidized, a bit like you know, canteens at your workplace. And a third one is the sort of the soup kitchen model, which you know hands out healthcare or you sure. know, for people who need it for free. And uh, of course, the UK is on the in the soup kitchen category. Mm-hmm. Where we, where we, you know, the state pays for healthcare. Um, largely, Europe and largely sort of the developed health economies are in the middle bit, where healthcare is highly subsidised in an insurance or a tax-based model. And then a lot of emerging markets, uh, people just pay over the counter. So, so the hard part is to not to do the techie stuff. Uh, and uh, to f- to fulfill the healthcare need, because if basically, in, again, in the developed health economies, people suffer from the same conditions in the Netherlands as they do in the US, yeah, and in the UK. So the patterns and the and the solutions aren't that different. It's just how how healthcare is funded, and how doctors and healthcare providers are paid, mm. and of course that then hits the value proposition, which then may completely change the solution you have to offer. So, so it is. Is it right? So, the, I mean, it's, it's the value propositions to everybody as well, isn't it? It's the users, the customers, the, whatever you call them, the buyers, the commissioners, the the customers, the patient, like the, you know, whatever you want to call it. All these different people will need something completely different when you're thinking about that sort of scale across even those two places that you've just mentioned. I mean, how are you guys navigating that sort of? practically i mean if you, are you how do you approach it i mean do you go okay we want to land in the u.s and so you, and so you start thinking who can i hire from the u.s that could that could think about this for us or do you try and strategize before you get there and and do a lot of things over here i mean how do you go about that practically when you're thinking about that sort of scale and i'm just thinking about the listeners that you know might be achieving some scale in the uk that are looking to do something in the u.s i mean how have you guys gone about it in in both the dutch and the u.s example we're doing mixed teams so we have teams with the people from here and yeah. people from there nice so people who know and, the product and people who know the market exactly so you yeah any other way would be incredibly difficult i think and uh, yeah. and 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 uh, the tech thing when you know it is relatively easy because <laughs> we've done yeah. it before uh, yeah. the hard part is to, so we have we have a process and uh, we we do find we want to find our launch consortium so have the stakeholders represented that we know we'll need in the long term uh, part of uh, what we tend to call a first um, well an early adopter program yeah and that's a phase that we basically say well we're in the, that that phase in those two countries and 
the key element of knowing is that that has to be the early adopter program the first of type is is designed specifically to feel out if we have if we can be successful in that market mm. and we don't necessarily want to tip uh, millions of dollars or pounds into that market before we have we know that we have game which makes and, a lot of sense yeah so so we, we keep this early adopter of first of type deployments lean we make sure that there's a consortium consisting of a bunch of <laughs> primary care uh, facilities, practices. Bootstrap it in you, Tobias, that still keeps you clean. <laughs> Good. Sad, isn't it? Good. I, I love it. I love and, then, it. and then by the end of that phase, we want to say, all right, now we push the button. Now we start investing bigger and mm. uh, because we have game. So so that's where we are in two markets. I'd like to I'd like to be at the same level in, in many, many more markets because it is a good model. And let's face it, if we can make it here, I wouldn't say we can make it anywhere, <laughs> but we can make it in some markets. And, you can have a go, definitely. You definitely I, got the platform to do so. I would say I would say that the UK digital health space is pretty ferocious. So, so I, th- I think I think you the comp- competition means that there's if you are a top performer in this environment, you're pretty good. Yeah, and I've seen that elsewhere. That you, you know, you, you there is there there are very many markets where we can add a lot of value. Yeah, so. it's one thing I really like about you guys actually is that you're you're not one of the in, in inverted commas loud people in the space. You're just one of the good ones. <laughs> just very quietly, just sat at the top of the download charts constantly and, and consistently and your growth is steady and maintained yeah. and you know it's and you're not loud in the space and it's just nice because you're just quietly quietly diligently solving problems for people and increasing your user base i think that's such a wonderful it's just a wonderful quality that i've, I've always really deeply respected about you and you're not into this kind of blitz scale model either you're just in you, you know you're interested in keeping things lean and testing things out and doing things in a measured way it's it's nice I, I I do like it. I think one of the one of the issues that you're obviously going to come across is hiring, right? Mm. Because it's I think like, hiring in the UK is hard enough. Hiring across borders and hiring to to grow this team now is is going to be it's resource heavy, isn't it? Yes. To, to hire the right people. It's quite, it's very difficult when you, when you see the opportunity, you've got this huge market that you want to expand into and uh, most of your time ends up being taken on, on hiring. I mean, how are you guys approaching that? Have you, well, first of all, I mean, have you found that difficult in the UK? Have you got any tips for hiring and what are you looking to do uh, internationally around that? It is incredibly hard. Growing is incredible. So we are, we're we're now at 70, 70 people. Congratulations. And uh, we, we with uh, with organic growth, we're hoping to be about a hundred, hundred and five towards the end of the year. Nice. And it depends. We we might try to accelerate that somehow, but. Um, so there is definitely a, a challenge, not only to hire people, but also hire the right people <laughs> and, and then to keep them. <laughs> so yeah, so you're, you're absolutely right. That's for, you know, this is one thing that when you are a founder <laughs> to when you are, you are running a, hmm. you know, a s- s- small, smallish enterprise, you realize that you can't do it every, everything yourself. You realize hmm. that quite quickly. And then you hire people who can do it better than you. And then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, and that's a wonderful journey. Uh, it has been great for me. Um, the, the way we deal with the recruitment and what seems to be, seems to work is that, that you, you want to be talent centric. And if you're talent centric, that means that you have to accept that talent may not be able to show up in your office, even if it's in summer, sunny Hammersmith. <laughs> so, so we, we have these tools and if you're agile, the whole agile model, so we stick, uh, you know, we use Jira, we use Slack, I think probably 80% of the development yeah. world does that. And, 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 and if you sit right next to somebody, if you sit uh, two hours flight away, actually you're working on the same tools and and 
you know, basically you work in the same way. So, so what we don't, what we don't do is that, right. You can only work if you show up in Hammersmith. What we do do is we say, well, if you fit the bill, we will make sure that you can work from wherever you happen to live and just Amazing. sure. So it's a hub and spoke or a hub model yeah. more than an office model. So that seems to work. And the good thing about that, of course, is that you can start hiring people in the markets where you want to go. Of course, yeah. And they can just slot in because everybody slots in the same way. So, so um, it's you know in the bad old days when mm-hmm. when the, these tools didn't exist uh, and where perhaps cultural differences were not so well understood, perhaps the. You know, it was much more dif- difficult, but today it's, uh, it's, I think people expect to work with people from other cultures and, and countries and, and nationalities and languages. And, uh, and that's how, how we roll really. So, so there are ways good. around it to be talent centric is the key element here. It's good as well, because especially when you're working that remotely, there's, there's no element of presenteeism in, in how you're managing people as well. You know, you're not expecting people to just be present for the sake of it. It just then all just comes down to delivery because then when you're not, you're not worried about time zones, you're not worried about, or because of the time zones, you're not worried about presenteeism and all these different things because people are just working when they're awake. Actually, it just becomes about, can you just do your job please? And just, (laughs) just deliver for me. And actually when you're, when you're not a micromanager and you just love empowering people that's a wonderful way to work for both you and them right because they're empowered to just do what they like on their own time on their own time and actually yeah. just deliver with the ability as you say that they have because you are so talent centric and also you're not disregarding the fact that people also work with companies because they like a social angle so we you know we bring people together we do our you know events and things like that but that's more like you know, think of a of a London club. You know, not yeah. a not a nightclub, nice. but one of these <laughs> places where people, will, you know, I'm sure it's sometimes when you're not there to buy us. <laughs> <laughs> so, when they I hear you're coming, it. they just turn the music off and put all the put all the beers away. I uh, tell you, Friday nights here can be quite. Uh, <laughs> Nice. And who are you looking to hire at the moment? I mean, you must be, I mean, with all this expansion going on, we've got a huge amount of listeners around the world now. So who are you looking to hire? Where are you looking to hire from? And I'm going to encourage these types of people to get in touch with you. So let me know who you're hiring. Well, the tech stack is going forward is a, is a Scala at the bottom, Java in the middle. And of course, since we're a mobile company, largely it's about Android and iOS. Then we have the web front ends that usually the professional, the doctors use, and that would be uh, React. So these are the tech development skills that we are pr- you know, looking for. And, uh, and if you're good enough, <laughs> if you're good, <laughs> <laughs> we, want, we want you to contribute to this because you know we have, as I said before, it's we're uh, you know, Uber Eats or Deliveroo with only Italian restaurants. There's just so much else mm-hmm. to do, and there's just so much upside. The data, the platform generates. There's just so much cool stuff to do. So, so that's on the tech side. Then, of course, we we do have a sales force, and we do have a team that delivers the solutions because of course healthcare is full of people and people need to support to to uh, change um, to digitalize their services so we have account managers out in the country so largely out where our users are and uh, we have a training team we're full of wonderful enthusiastic people and we've got uh, some project managers so these are sort of the I, I, I can't bring myself to call them soft skills <laughs> but Soft, softer than writing uh, code. <laughs> yeah. So we need those two. Cool. And I, t- to be honest, I would completely and utterly encourage anyone listening to, uh, if you fit that bill, to, to get in touch with Tobias. I really enjoyed working with you, Tobias. I thought what you're doing is fabulous. I, th- I, I have respected you for a long time. And I think the way that you've built your company, uh, I, I just really enjoy it. And I, I really enjoy catching up with you like we did the other day in Parliament, because yes, we're that sort of did. people now that we just happen to meet in Westminster. Yeah. <laughs> Although yes, you probably stayed till the end. I just didn't because I. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't cope. I didn't even wait for Matt Hancock's talk. Was that any good, by the way, Matt, Matt Hancock's talk? I think he's pretty cool. 
thank yeah. God. It says the right you, things, right? You can say what you want about, about politics, and I'll, I'll leave that aside. But I think, you know, if in the UK, having a champion for digital at you know, Secretary of State level. Yeah. I think that's that, that can only be a good thing. I think you're absolutely right. So Tobias, I mean, the way that we end these podcasts, mate, is that I'll just hand back over to you to, I guess, summarize a little bit about yourself, a little bit about iPlato, and to just summarize that ask that you've got of our audience and close us out with that, sir. Okay, you put me on the spot there. Yeah. <laughs> I always do, the mate. Last half this is the, hour. Do you know what? This is the thing that I always forget to tell people. You know, when we chat briefly before I start recording and I say like, oh, it's an informal chat, blah, blah, blah. I always forget to tell people I'm going to do this thing at the end where I, where I put you on the spot. <laughs> I don't think I've told a single person, but anyway, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. So I think I, Plato, uh, the company, the developer of my GP a platform that simplifies access to healthcare. And uh, it provides a digital first experience, something that has eluded patients in all developed health economies. We're all missing a digital first experience uh, because there are so many things in interacting with the healthcare system that you should be able to do online on your phone. And that's the direction of travel we're taking. So it's got uh, the app, which is the front end, has one and a half million active users, the largest independent uh, medical platform in the UK. Independent would mean independent of EMR or GP system, which we think is very important because we want to work for patients. So we're growing internationally uh, and anybody who wants to help with that in any country, I think they would I'd be really interested to hear it from them because we do work together. We need, you know, we can't do it all ourselves. And so we will always work with national partners. And the other thing, you know, maybe later in the year or early 2021, we will probably have to scale up and take uh, or fundraise for the first time. And uh, that's going to be fun. So if, if uh, <laughs> any of your listeners <laughs> think that that is, sounds like good fun, I mean, we will prove a bunch of things, including that we can scale internationally before then. So it's about, it's about scaling across the globe then. Um, then I would be keen to hear from you. And of course, if you want a great place to work, uh, a forward-thinking tech company in healthcare, then, you know, iPlate is a good place. Love it. And for people that want to get in touch with you, Tobias, what's the best way to find you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, oh. I, uh, and also there's the iPlato website, which I think has a, the info at iPlato and these things come to... Uh, so it's relatively easy to get a hold of me indirectly. Um, otherwise cool. just give James and I will put all of those links <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah just uh, yeah just give me a shout uh, cool so, nice one yeah ni- ni- nice how you put that off on me yeah really good um, and for our listeners by the way yeah I do leave my email all about the place so people can always get in touch with me and they can get in touch on LinkedIn but I will also put the links to uh, iPlato and Tobias's LinkedIn and stuff in the description Great. of this episode so Tobias it's been an absolute pleasure sir thank you for coming on and have a wonderful wonderful day in Hampstead. I think you need to go and walk your dog as well by the sounds of things. Uh, I definitely do. All right. That was great to be on, James. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody, and thanks for listening to this week's episode and making it all the way to the end. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.